0: As I say, I can tell I'm getting older because the thought of new and emerging technology no longer seems to me an exciting thing. It becomes more and more a confusing and frustrating thing. When I go out Christmas shopping, it seemed like just yesterday I would buy some new electronic thing for my daughters, and then the next year rolls around and it's become so outdated that they need a new version of almost the exact same thing I bought for them last year. We live in a culture that loves what is new, what is innovative, and has very little time for what is old and familiar. That makes it particularly difficult at times like Christmas. We celebrate traditions, we do things like we've often done them through the past, and no more so than when we read the gospel that we heard just a few minutes ago. See, we hear the gospel coming from Luke about Jesus' birth, we hear the reading of how Gabriel comes to Mary, we hear the stories of how Micah predicts the Messiah will come from Bethlehem, and these are readings that are the same readings we read last year, and the same readings we led the year before that. Of course, as you stretch throughout Christian history, people have heard these stories again and again and again. And as a preacher, I find that particularly challenging to think, what can I possibly say that's new about this story you will all know probably backwards and forwards? Every once in a while I stay up at night thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I pulled a switch and put one new scripture reading in there that you hadn't heard? Here's one. Have you ever heard the story of um, Balaam and his donkey? There's the story of Balaam and his donkey in Numbers, which is in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. And Balaam is called to put a curse on the people of Israel. One of their enemies wants them to lose in battle, and so they pay Balaam a great amount of money. So he gets on his donkey and heads towards Israel to curse them. Only God wants to protect Israel, so he sends an angel with a big flaming sword. It's just that Balaam can't see the angel, but his donkey can. So the donkey sees the angel, and he runs off into a cornfield, and Balaam says, what are you doing, you stupid donkey, and smacks him with a stick until eventually the donkey goes back onto the road and then the angel comes again and then Balaam's not able to see the angel, but his donkey can, so uh, the donkey goes off into the wall and Balaam scrapes his foot and Balaam again gets angry and smacks his donkey and then finally the donkey sees the angel again and he can't escape and so the donkey sits down in the ground because he can't go any further and knows there's an angel right in front and guess what? Balaam smacks his donkey and then here's the interesting twist. The donkey starts talking and says to Balaam, What are you doing hitting me? Don't you see the angel that's been there in front of you each time? I just saved your life from the angel with the sword. Wouldn't that be an interesting sermon to preach about the nature of a talking donkey? And yet that's never why people gather. We gather here on Christmas Eve. It is the biggest attended night of the church here, even more than Easter. And people gather knowing full well the story they're going to hear is going to be the same story they've always heard and Christians throughout history have heard. And in fact, in so many ways, the story not only is familiar, if you look and sort of disregard some of the really miraculous big things like that choir of heavenly angels, it's actually a pretty mundane, average sounding kind of story. After all, we hear from the angel coming to Mary. We don't know much about Mary. We're not told the angel comes to a princess who's named Mary. We aren't told the angel comes to a wealthy heiress named Mary or a PhD named Mary. All we're told is this is Mary who lives in a backwater town called Nazareth and nothing special ever happens in Nazareth. We're told he's betrothed to some carpenter, big deal. And of course we're told, uh, like we all get, we get told that the tax man searches her and Joseph out and says, I don't care that you're pregnant, I want to make sure I get my taxes and so they have to travel. They don't have enough clout to force themselves into an inn and push somebody else out. They don't have enough money to buy something. They must give birth in a stable. The mayor doesn't come to congratulate them. They don't have a bridal shower. The only reason they have anyone coming to visit is because God's holy angels drag in a ragtag group of shepherds. It's a very mundane kind of story. So why is it that we gather and listen to it instead of ones that might be more exciting? And I've often thought about that, but I actually think this year what struck me most about this story is the power that comes out of God's noticing what is weak and contemptible in the eyes of the world. After all, the world has a very complicated relationship with what is weak and not very powerful. We live in a society where the tax man, although I don't like paying it, I know some of my taxes go to good things. We do subsidize housing, we do help people who are poor, There are food banks in places like Barhaven that help out the poor and the needy. And yet, where is our preoccupation? So rarely do we tune in to watch television shows about the poor and the needy. It's not those people that we follow on Twitter. It's the people who are famous. It's the people who are beautiful. It's the people with a great deal of money. These are the people that preoccupy us, and these are the people that, frankly, make us feel most interested to listen So often this trickles down not just into the fictional stories or the people we follow on social media. If we're really honest with ourselves, I think many times we find it very difficult to be patient with weakness when we see it in others. After all, how many times do we find it frustrating going downtown when we're trying to go and get shopping gifts for our friends and our family when somebody holds out their hand asking for money or that person with the bell, ring, 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 please give to the Salvation Army. We must admit that even when it's a good cause, we find it frustrating because it reminds us of the weakness of others. As a parent, if I'm really honest too, even the children that I'm given charge over, whom I love dearly, I get frustrated with them pretty often. Just today, of course, as we're preparing and thinking, I've got so much to do today, I'm the minister at the church, I've got so much to prepare, and of course the kids are not able to notice how important it is to me. They have meltdowns about what they're going to wear. They have meltdowns about what it is that they're going to have tomorrow for Christmas. Little ones so often are too weak to withstand the psychological pressures of Santa coming, and so they melt down. And what do we as parents so often do? Instead of comforting them and feeling sympathy for their weakness, we get frustrated and angry, and I do that very often. And I'll tell you what happens even more often. When I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I find myself frustrated by myself, How oftentimes the weaknesses I find in myself are completely unbearable. We all find that, I think, in everyday life. We mess up at work. We find sometimes that we fall again and again to the same old behaviors. Even the small things, like having no strength to say no to those hors d'oeuvres that are passing around at Christmas, and looking in the mirror and thinking that uh, six-pack I once had has turned into a keg. When we get back to why we hear this story and enjoy it so much, I think it's actually because we see the honest weakness that's in that story, the powerlessness that's displayed there, the kind of powerlessness that the world doesn't care much about, and yet it's enshrined in Scripture telling us that though the world may not care, God cares. God looked at a poor and humble couple that easily could have been forgotten, that nobody in the world would ever have remembered whose names would never have gone down in history were it not for the fact that God noticed them and said, I love you and you are the people I choose to bring my son into the world. To give them the mundane task of changing Jesus' diapers, of kissing away his boo-boos as a toddler falling down on the ground, of caring for him, protecting him, teaching him the ways of the world, bringing him to synagogue and helping to learn the ways of the scriptures. These are simple, mundane, everyday tasks and not something that preoccupies the attention of the powerful, but it preoccupied the attention of our Lord. I look at that story and, frankly, it shames me for the times that I am contemptuous towards that which is weak. I look at the nursing homes I go to visit and I see those who are weak and sometimes forgetful and I'm reminded by the Christmas story but the people who are in those wheelchairs, those who are forgetting perhaps even their own name are people with the same dignity that Mary and Joseph, weak, humble, poor people had. And they have dignity that it's displayed by the fact that Jesus was willing to be born into a poor, humble family. And that person in the wheelchair in the nursing home has that same dignity because God gave it to them. I look at my own children and I see their weakness and I must say, God does not look at their weakness and say, I'm frustrated, I'm angry. And I feel contempt. Instead, he looks at their weakness and wants to protect and love them. And he does the same for me. When I look in that mirror and I have harsh words for myself. The Christmas story reminds me that those are harsh words coming from somewhere, but they are not coming from God. It is so easy for us to have contempt for weakness in others. It is easy for us to have contempt for the weakness we find in ourselves, but it is not something that comes from God. And it's something that scripture when we hear about Jesus' birth to a poor, humble family challenges it on. Here's a goal for us in the new year. The goal for us in the new year is not to have contempt for our own weaknesses and the weaknesses of others. Here's the goal. Let God's love shine on you. Remember the Christmas story and remember the weakness you see displayed there was not a reason for God to shun it, but instead was a reason for God to visit this family, to show them the dignity and the worth they really have. In this coming year, make it our goal to look at the people that we so easily dismiss and say, you too were made dignified by Christ's coming. You too are made in the image of God. You too have worth and value even though you may be weak. Here's perhaps the most difficult challenge for the coming year. Start doing that when you look in the mirror and realize that the ways you are hard on yourself are not ways that God is hard on. Instead, God looks at your weaknesses and says, let me help you. Let me fill you with your grace so that in your weakness, my strength might be displayed. For he loves weak ones, such as I.